uh, at Sierra Vista at Mountain Vista Baptist Church. Been a long, long time. How many were here in 2009? All right, one, two, three. All right, good to see you folks again, <laughs> you three. Uh, the rest of you, glad you're here. And uh, I don't know what you did with everybody else, but uh, <laughs> been a long time, and it's great to be back uh, in Arizona and uh, the Glory Land. Uh, and so we'll talk about that in a, mil- in a little bit. But uh, we are missionaries uh, to Serbia, and uh, we have been uh, on the field now for uh, 12 years. End of March uh, has made it 12 years. And I want to uh, start off by thanking you for your support uh, of us through these years. Uh, and your faithfulness uh, to stand behind us and help us to be on the field in Serbia. Uh, now, to familiarize you with who we are, uh, we are to uh, the country of Serbia. My wife, Rachel, here, uh, our five kids somewhere else, and I uh, hope you get to meet them. Uh, but uh, Serbia is the size of South Carolina, population about 6.6 million, and formerly called Yugoslavia. Uh, I'll tell you about the Yugo in a bit if you uh, if you all uh, behave, all right? But uh, my burden for Serbia began with the fact that my mother is from Serbia. And uh, she was born and raised there. She came to the States uh, in the 1970s and uh, met my father actually here in Arizona. And uh, they uh, uh, were married. Uh, she said that he was the only one that she couldn't beat at ping pong. And so she married him. And then they said that they found me on the beach in Hawaii and that uh, my sister was a blue light special at Kmart. But uh, you know how we lie to our kids. But uh, uh, I was saved when I was six years old. And so I was born here, uh, born in Phoenix, and I was raised in Prescott. And uh, in Prescott, I got saved there and then uh, dedicated my life to God uh, when I was a teenager in Prescott and uh, went on from there. Uh, I haven't lived in Arizona since 2001. And so I envy you all who live here. Uh, but uh, uh, I went and uh, felt the Lord would have me be a preacher. So I went on to Bible college. And in Bible college, I was seeing people saved. And uh, uh, I was growing burden for my family in Serbia uh, to say, here I am seeing people saved here. Is there anybody like me over there in Serbia that I could maybe give my information over to the, uh, them for my family and try to see them saved? And so I looked and looked and looked and could not find anybody uh, there in Serbia. So God used that to work on my heart to say, why don't you go there to Serbia? And so uh, we left in March 2011. All five of our children were born in Serbia. And then, uh, as I said earlier, uh, March uh, makes 12 years that we've been there. To update you, uh, I want to preface what I'm about to say is that uh, this is going to be a different report than you're probably used to hearing if you're not familiar with these things already. But our goals in Serbia have been soul winning, discipleship and church planting. Uh, the problem is that we just haven't been able to succeed in really any of them. And uh, we're, regarding soul winning, uh, we have distributed over 800,000 tracts in total in our ministry there in Serbia. And uh, we had a, mini- a website with it, just a meager really amount of views uh, uh, on there in comparison to tracts, and really just only a handful of contact from it and nothing positive. Uh, but 
I also wrote a book to explain the gospel at length and uh, wanted to get it published to get it distributed widely, uh, but because of the lack of uh, good reception to the tracks, only just was able to put the text on the website and just didn't really get any further with that. But uh, we have seen a handful saved there, but just none that have been really committed to us. And we've tried what we can there, trying to have people over for birthdays or special events like Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we'd give gifts to neighbors and try to witness folks, but no one warmed up to us, and not even my family there, uh, sad to say. Uh, regarding discipleship, I wrote 13 lessons, and you can see a copy uh, of that on the table in the uh, fellowship hall. And I haven't been able to give them all to but only about four people, uh, which is sad. But uh, regarding church planting, our, our ultimate goal, uh, only one guy uh, stuck with us. And uh, uh, at best comes every other Sunday morning and yet doesn't listen or apply things. And so out of 12 years of trying to work there, that's all that we have. And uh, not even anybody, not even a group to try and start anything. And so uh, for our uh, goals, we started to translate the Bible into Serbian beginning in May of 2012. And uh, in 10 years of trying to work on it, uh, couldn't even finish the New Testament, and that was due to the Serbs themselves not having a burden for the Word of God uh, in their own language. And it just frustrates me to no end to think, how could you not have a burden for 100% pure Word of God in your own language? And so uh, uh, that has come to naught, basically. But uh, what especially happened to us was in 2019 and 2020, a traumatic uh, media storm uh, against us. And uh, President Trump was right. It's the same thing in Serbia. It's fake news. And I know uh, personally, I don't trust any journalists uh, whatsoever. And you ought not either, I want to tell you. Uh, but uh, do your own research and find out what's really going on. But uh, there was 44 national news articles against us and eight TV programs. And they just slandered us and lied and lied about us. And Lord Jesus was exactly correct when he said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, uh, Blessed are the persecuted when they shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Because that's what they did. And uh, they lied and lied and lied about us. Uh, one lie was, uh, they may be here to promise you heaven, but in the end, they're trying to steal your property. And it's like, what? No, this is a lie. What a blatant lie. And then uh, another one was, oh, they have you come, and they're going to give you a special beverage, is that they tried to imply would poison people. What a lie. That is not true whatsoever. And then the craziest one, uh, if you want me to point out to you, I have a copy of the articles and uh, uh, programs that I translated in English, and I can show you this. This literally did happen. It's a crazy thing. Craziest one was this article that said, vampirized sect rages through Belgrade. Like, what is this? It's like, I know I have pointy teeth, but I've never bitten anybody. But this is ridiculous, and this doesn't exist anyway. And so uh, uh, just making up all manner of evil against us, falsely, for his sake. And so some have asked, is this against uh, biblical Christianity overall or against you directly? It's against us directly, uh, which is strange because uh, what are we among so many? Uh, basically, 6.6 .6 million. Why would they take us as that much of a threat uh, to uh, come at us na nationally, at our national level? I mean, it's just a small family. Uh, so that shows you, for one, how controlling that their false religion is, the Serbian Orthodoxy, as well as how controlling that the devil is and how real that hell is because he won't let anything go on. He just slandered us and stigmatized us and uh, just don't know uh, if we'll ever get over it. Uh, is the problem. But 
largely overall, what we've uh, determined about Serbian people is that, number one, they ignore us, and uh, most of our tracks have surely ended up in the trash. And I know so because a lot of them were thrown away right in front of me. And uh, sometimes they would tear them up too. Uh, one woman tore up the track and threw it at me in front of her five children. And I said, oh, no, uh, she is just uh, sentencing her kids to be hardened to the gospel if they ever get another chance. And uh, then this one boy, uh, probably eight years old, he tore up the track, threw it down, and he said, you're a cult. And I'm thinking in my mind, and you're so experienced in all your long years of, of, of wisdom and uh, uh, life there that you just know what a cult is right away. Ah, preposterous. But uh, number one, they ignore us. Number two, they deceive us. Uh, reporters would call who deceived me, and uh, they would act like actual prospects. They'd try to scoop anything they could out of me and then go run and slander us in the media. And then uh, some would call trying to dupe us to get uh, more info out of us maliciously, uh, but through your prayers, God has protected us. And then uh, number three, they seem to be there just for money, and, uh, which is a shame. Uh, then number four, they threaten us. And we've had about every threat that you can imagine, uh, physical harm threats, uh, death threats, threats to sue us, throw us in prison, make us illegal, kick us out of the country, put us in a labor mine, uh, threats to do wicked things to my family. Uh, uh, one man said uh, at one point that, uh, that he'd come after me and that uh, when he would, uh, that no one, not God nor man, will be able to save you. What is wrong with a person like that? But uh, regarding uh, physical harm threats, uh, it seemed like the popular thing was that they were going to threaten to come and break my arms and legs. And I don't know why it was. It's like a fad almost that they were doing that. But this one woman called and said, if I ever get this again, I'm going to come and find you and break your legs. And uh, I told that to my pastor. And he said, I don't ever want to meet any Serbian women. And, uh, I mean, can you imagine that, that this woman calls a man out of the blue, she doesn't know what he looks like what he's, uh, or anything like that? And I'm like Barney on Andy Griffith, you know, my whole body's a weapon. But uh, uh, it's just ridiculous and, and foolish uh, that they would be like that and just go threaten like that. But uh, we just won't get anywhere if they won't allow it. So, number five, they don't seem to want to do anything unless a foreigner does it. And so, in the main, they have shown that they don't want to hear what we have to say, lost or saved. And uh, the saved don't even seem to want to help us without being paid. And some fellow missionaries in Romania that we know said, to be honest, you have given everything for Serbia. And so uh, we've been contemplating through furlough since uh, mid-December uh, what we're to do. And uh, just can't get away from Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus sent the, the disciples on a uh, short-term missions trip. And he said to them, if they don't hear you or receive you, then you're to wipe the dust off your feet and you're to go elsewhere. And so uh, it's just been abundantly confirmed uh, that that's the case for us. And uh, I just know that if we would go back there and things don't change, then I'm going to go crazy. And uh, uh, because just beating my head against the wall and getting nowhere, and I know that 12 years of doing the same thing, if we go back and do that, we're going to end up with the same results. But we can take uh, great heart uh, and uh, want you to take an encouragement out of this that all this is not in vain and uh, that the Lord accomplished apparently what he wanted to accomplish, though I certainly wanted to see a lot more. And I was prepared to go for life uh, there and uh, try to... Uh, uh, 
see churches planted and especially have the Bible there and try to reach people, but uh, they just didn't want it. And I mean, even the Lord had a problem with that with some people where uh, in some areas it says that he could do uh, no many wor- no, not many uh, wor- miracles there because of their unbelief. And so it all depends on the people whether they'll receive it or not. And uh, they've made that abundantly clear. At least do understand this, that in three of the articles, uh, they had the whole tract in the article, meaning they got the gospel, our tract, to the whole country for us. They did our job for us. And so I was very conflicted about that because of all the slander in it, but I was like, Wow, uh, somehow uh, through our ministry, God reached the whole country through us. And so take heart, at least in that, to say you were a part of that. And uh, though there may not be any, uh, much any spiritual fruit, at least at this point, I hope in time to come that God will give them grace and that they will respond. And my heart grieves uh, over them that they have turned from it, and uh, especially my family uh, as well. Uh, But they've been warned, and I know uh, we've figured out that maybe we're not soul winners there, but we're soul warners there. And uh, that's at least what we all should be, is a soul warner, and uh, uh, to tell them and help them to know that they need to get saved as soon as possible. So uh, Lord's working our heart uh, to come back and uh, pastor here in the United States. And so uh, pray the Lord for one would help us to sell our house quickly. This is a very important prayer request because uh, the real estate there is atrocious in Serbia. And uh, then sell uh, our other stuff that we need to and be able to move back here as well as that God would open a door for us where we need to go because right now it's undecided as to what we'll do. But Sure would love to end up in Arizona. That would be great. Uh, if you'll turn, please, uh, in your Bibles tonight to Acts in chapter number 20. Acts in 20. I'm going to do a little different than I normally am and might be more teaching uh, than preaching tonight. Uh, but I will read this first and then we will uh, pray and then get started. And it'll probably be a little bit until we're, uh, we'll get to uh, the verse here. Uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to be here at Mountain Vista Baptist Church. I pray that you'll lead us and guide us tonight, that you'll bless this service. We pray the Holy Spirit would be uh, involved in everything and uh, use uh, the words said to uh, pierce our hearts and help us to uh, know your will uh, concerning this matter and that we would be uh, obedient uh, to it. And so I pray, Lord, you have your will and your way as you be glorified through this. And you'll bless uh, this church here, especially as they go on to another chapter of uh, their history with uh, Brother Bertram coming. And I pray, uh, Lord, you help everybody to uh, get off on the right foot uh, with it and that it would just help all the folks here to grow spiritually uh, more than ever. And so I pray that you'll uh, use this time for your uh, will. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. All right, so uh, I've been waiting about 10 years to give some of these, uh, but have you ever heard any jokes about Arizona? <laughs> and uh, it's been 10 years since I've been in Arizona, but uh, since most of you have are not... Uh, uh, here from 2009. How many were born in Arizona? 
All right. Hey, this is a good percentage. Uh, so the rest of you, I guess we have to just accept you, and uh, we'll put up with you for now. <laughs> but uh, here's some, now for us that are from Arizona, we're just going to kind of be okay. Uh, I don't see why this is a joke. But these are some signs to realize that you are acclimated or used to and adjusted to Arizona. Okay? So um, uh, you'll know that you're getting accl acclimated to Arizona when you notice your car overheating before you drive it. Yep, and then uh, you can say ho ho come, and people don't think that you're laughing. Uh, you no longer associate bridges or rivers with water. Uh, you see more uh, irrigation water flowing down the street than there is in the Salt River. I think a lot of these have to do with uh, Phoenix, so. Uh, you can say 120 degrees without feigning. Okay, that's why we moved from Phoenix uh, when I was four to Prescott. It's about 20 degrees cooler. But uh, you can be in the snow, then drive for an hour, and it'll be over 100 degrees. That's true. And uh, it just boggles the mind if you tell people that. Uh, what is it about uh, people outside of Arizona? They think all of Arizona is desert. Uh, it's like, no, it's not, okay? But um, you quickly discover in July that it only takes two fingers to drive your car. Uh, you notice that the best parking place is determined by shade instead of distance. Yeah. Right. Yes. Hotter water comes from the cold water tap than the hot one. You can correctly pronounce the words Sawaro, Tempe, Gila Bend, San Xavier, Canyon de Chez, uh, Choya, and et cetera, et cetera. So. It's noon in July, kids are on summer vacation, and not one person is moving on the streets. <laughs> you actually burn your hand opening the car door. That's right. Sunscreen is sold year-round, kept at the front of the checkout counter. A formula less than 30 SPF is a joke, and you wear it just to go to Circle K. Right. And then, uh, let me think here. So, uh, no one would dream of putting vinyl upholstery in a car. Yeah. You can understand the reason for a town named Y. <laughs> uh, have you ever been there? Really small. Uh, you say Huachuca, and no one says Gesundheit. <laughs> uh, these are, I, I have lots here that I could say. But uh, an abandoned copper mine and 600 miles of tailings are a major tourist attraction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. I think that was about all that I'll assault you with. Okay. Uh, Acts in chapter 20 and verse number 35, uh, we find a principle here at the end of the verse uh, that uh, Paul tells to the uh, Ephesian elders uh, here in the book of uh, Acts and, and then uh, chapter 20. And he has uh, been traveling a while. This is during his third missionary journey. Uh, and uh, he had already been in Ephesus in the previous chapter, and there was quite a commotion uh, that had happened there. And uh, you should be familiar with these things uh, in your Bible reading. You should be reading the Bible every day. Uh, and uh, you're not going to get enough Bible in church uh, uh, for your personal needs, your spiritual needs. So you should be acquainted with these things yourselves. Uh, but 
in the previous chapter, he was basically run out of, out of the town on a rail and uh, uh, almost could have lost his life in the great commotion that happened uh, in the town of Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, but here he is coming back toward it on his way back to Jerusalem and does not come all the way to uh, Ephesus, but he wants to meet with the Ephesian elders. And he comes to a place on the coast of uh, western Turkey called Miletus. Uh, and it's, it used to be uh, quite a big town. They had a, uh, uh, a amphitheater and they had other things there that are actually still there uh, that they've uncovered. But all he does is he comes to the shore there. He invites them to come from Ephesus and I think it's about 20 miles away uh, from Ephesus to meet them and talk to them and give them some important things. We, there's so much really in this chapter that we could preach about uh, and uh, so many good things and important things uh, to talk about. Uh, but I want to talk about this principle here in uh, verse number 35 that he ends it with uh, uh, to tell them and to uncover a unknown or unrecorded uh, uh, statement of the Lord Jesus. And uh, the Bible uh, is the Word of God. Uh, the Bible is what God would have us to know. Uh, but the Gospels, Matthew through John, don't necessarily record everything that happened. In fact, it seems like a third of the Gospels focus only on the last week and then after the resurrection of Christ. And that's a, oh, that's a big chunk uh, of the Gospels. But uh, John had said at the end of John in 21 and verse 25, and there are are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And so uh, uh, he tells that there's much more that could be said uh, that's not recorded here and uh, not recorded in the previous other Gospels as well. Uh, and so maybe we would be tantalized as to say, well, what was it that uh, had happened before that we didn't get to find out, that we didn't get to hear him say? Uh, what we have is enough. All right. All this is given by inspiration of God and it's sufficient. Uh, man shall live by every word of God uh, and not by bread alone. And so what we have is sufficient for us to grow on. But the Holy Spirit just kind of said, I think I'm going to include something that was not included in the Gospels. And I'm going to uh, put it in posterity as, and to put it in an inspired record of the Word of God so that we don't miss it. And uh, I don't know when this was said because the uh, Apostle Paul is the only one that uh, tells us about it. But it could very well be that this, uh, that he had said, could have been said on the Mount of uh, uh, the sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, where he gave uh, the Beatitudes, and then he went into the sermon on uh, Matthew five through seven. It could have very well been there, and so uh, uh, I kind of think that this is, in a way, the forgotten beatitude. Uh, if you recall what the beatitudes are, they're at the beginning of Matthew chapter five, and they say, "Blessed is this, blessed is that, blessed is that, blessed is that," uh, and it gives eight beatitudes there. And so this is, in a way, of course, there's other times that uh, the Lord said, "Blessed is this" or "Blessed is that," but I kind of look at this as kind of a, a, a ninth uh, beatitude that. 
ought to be included and understood as a part of the Beatitudes and uh, that we ought not especially forget. Uh, sometimes in the book of Acts, we just kind of gloss over things and jump over it because we're intrigued with what's going on. And, uh, but we don't uh, maybe sometimes realize the spiritual depth and principles that can be brought out even in the book of Acts. And this is one of those that we need uh, to uh, uh, grasp onto and uh, utilize uh, in our lives uh, because there's so much uh, to it. Now, what is it, though, uh, that it is to be blessed in the first place? We need to understand what it is to be blessed. Uh, to be blessed does not mean happy. And uh, the Bible uh, could have put happy uh, in these places in about 28 uh, locations in the Bible. It does put the word happy. Uh, so it could certainly have put it here. It could certainly have, have put it in uh, Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. But it doesn't have it there. Uh, does this make sense if you take and put the word happy into these places, like the Beatitudes, uh, that it would make sense there? I would say not. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, happy are the poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are they that mourn. Happy are they that mourn? No, that doesn't make sense. They're mourning, but they're happy? What's this about? Uh, and blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted. That especially doesn't make sense. Oh, it just makes me happy when I'm persecuted. I was not happy when I was persecuted, all right? And I tried to think of that uh, while we were being persecuted, and I said, this doesn't make me happy whatsoever. And uh, happiness is a different thing entirely from what is it being blessed. And uh, being blessed uh, in, uh, I can uh, uh, go on to elaborate more about this where I uh, derive this, but being blessed is basically being where it ought to be in God's will and Him having His will and His way. And uh, it's not that I'm going to have everything that I think in my humanistic mind or selfish mind that I would want. And so blessing doesn't mean financial necessarily. Or blessing doesn't mean uh, to have a bunch of possessions uh, necessarily. Uh, but blessing would be where I, I'm to be where I'm supposed to be in God's will. Uh, and uh, I could elaborate more on that and uh, you have probably your own thoughts on it. But I want to focus, uh, again, on this aspect here of the forgotten beatitude. So I want to give you a few points uh, to think about, and then we're going to see a lot of verses as well to uh, consider. And so I hope that you've brought uh, some notepaper and uh, to uh, try to get this and, and sink this deep into your heart and life, this principle here. First thing I want to talk about is the pertinent difference. Uh, the pertinent difference. Uh, this beatitude, if you'll accept my uh, uh, allegation that this is a beatitude, uh, is not like the others in Matthew chapter 5 uh, because it gives a comparison. All the rest of them, they were blessed as this, blessed as this. This says is more blessed to do this than it is to do that. And uh, giving is here compared to receiving. And so now it doesn't say that receiving is not a blessing. Uh, of course, it's a blessing. Uh, there are so many things uh, all our life long that we receive, and we'd only have them uh, by receiving them, uh, like life is one of those. Uh, that's something, not something you can ever arrange. Uh, breath, sunshine, freedoms, health, salvation. We receive all of those and need to receive them if we'll have them. Uh, and those certainly are some of the greatest blessings uh, that we could have. 
you, in essence, are reliant on someone somewhere giving to you. Uh, you're going to have to uh, receive before you can give uh, in the first place. But First uh, Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And so we have already been given, uh, and we've received. Uh, you were reliant on your parents to have given you the opportunity to be born. Uh, this day and age we live in is the age of abortion. And uh, praise God for what happened last year with uh, Roe versus Wade being thrown out. One of the greatest uh, uh, and uh, most outstanding things that has ever happened in my lifetime. And I wasn't expecting it. And uh, praise God for it. Uh, but uh, anybody uh, my age or, or not much older than me is part of the age that could have been aborted. And uh, I literally could have. Uh, my father doesn't tell uh, this much, but he actually never told me this personally. I had to learn it out, uh, learn it some other way. But uh, when abortion became uh, legal in America in 1973, he and his girlfriend went to get one of the first legal abortions uh, because she had gotten pregnant. And that was not my mom. And, uh, and so I could have been aborted as well. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, he didn't even say with that woman, of course, but uh, it stunned me several years ago that when I found that out that I could have been aborted. But uh, I'm glad my parents wanted me. I'm sure you're glad your parents wanted you. Uh, apparently, there are millions of those who could have had children that went and aborted their babies every year, like about 40 plus, maybe 50 some million around the world. Uh, now, this is another thing you ought to know, uh, uh, but we always focus on America, how bad it is abortion here. 64.6 uh, .6 million plus that have been aborted since 1973 in America. That is bad. That is like all of California gone. But worldwide, it's way, way, way worse. Uh, it is uh, 1.687 billion that have been aborted since 1980. That's all of China gone. That's all of India gone. Uh, folks, that is unimaginable uh, that's the case. That's all wars of all time combined. Uh, and it still doesn't probably even scratch uh, the hem of the garment on that. And uh, what a despicable thing, certainly, that that uh, even occurs uh, whatsoever. But uh, we have the gift of life. Amazingly, even through that, uh, and certainly as an awful, sick, and demented generation of people now who think that it's fine to kill helpless, defenseless babies, and the majority of those that do so uh, because it just the baby got in the way of their plans. It was inconvenient. How wicked. That's the new, uh, new idol. Uh, it's, it's human sacrifice, child sacrifice, not to a uh, pagan god, but it's to another idol. Uh, convenience. Uh, how sick is that? But uh, to some measure, I want to give uh, go away from this heavy topic. But uh, to some measure, it is a blessing to get. Uh, understand that again. Uh, to some measure, it's a blessing to receive the reward that we earned uh, through hard effort. Uh, as a young man who has trained countless hours for a competition in long distance running and goes on to win the race, uh, receiving something through hard work uh, for it is a blessing. Uh, it is a blessing to us to see the culminations of our efforts realized. Uh, receiving is also a blessing when we receive things with gratitude. Uh, and receiving is a blessing when we live contentedly, uh, meaning we are okay with the amount that we receive and we're not grasping for more uh, and more and more. Uh, the Bible tells us, and I'm going to have to find a lot of these more quickly, but uh, Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 
11. Philippians 4.11. You don't have to go to all these, but I would like you to write down some of these. But uh, Paul had said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And he learned that, and we need to learn that too. We need, and especially in this day and age of America, uh, and uh, we need to learn contentment. And uh, probably one of the things that'll help us to do that is shut off the TV, and uh, that'll help you to uh, to be content. Uh, so. Uh, have you learned that in your life? If you haven't learned yet to be content with what you have, then you will fall into the sin of covetousness or can fall into the sin of covetousness. But uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, uh, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Beware of trying to covet and strongly want and desire something that doesn't belong to you. That's a part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Uh, and so he's saying beware of it. Uh, your life doesn't consist in having a bunch of uh, women of things in the closet. Uh, okay? Uh, your life doesn't consist in that. Uh, what a pathetic thing. Uh, you die and it'll still be here. And uh, the moths will get it uh, or something like that. And like some of you older folks remember Imelda Marcus uh, from uh, the Philippines and all her shoes uh, that she had. And is she even alive anymore? I don't know. Uh, but like that was so famous. What a, path what a pitiful, uh, vain thing to live for, to have shoes. Uh, uh, that's ridiculous. And so we don't live for objects, to have objects in our life. Uh, and uh, uh, without at least... Uh, uh, the three things, let's see, where am I at? Uh, there's just something about receiving things that is empty uh, in and of itself. It just doesn't give us the fulfillment and satisfaction that many think that they should get from it. Uh, happiness is not in receiving, at least in a lasting way. Uh, people always wanting to receive are seldom truly happy people and uh, seldom are grateful uh, as well. Instead, such actually can turn some kind of people into very unpleasant uh, and difficult to deal with kind of people. Uh, that's the saying that uh, with anything that just receives, receives, and receives only, it's just not something we like being around. And I'll, talk, I'll give you an illustration about that. But uh, parasites and mosquitoes are that, just receive, 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 always taking, and they are dangerous. And, uh, and actually in Africa, the most dangerous thing, the biggest killer in Africa is mosquitoes. Not uh, lions, not elephants, crocodiles, or hippopotami. Uh, and so it's never good to just be a taker. And so uh, uh, some people, though, think that if they could just win the lottery, that they'll be happy and everything would be great. And uh, that's such a, such a, t uh, a temptation, uh, isn't it? But Instead, there are so many, so many stories that people relate where they tell about that winning the lottery was the worst thing to happen to them. Yeah. Understand that. Yeah. That way you won't get tempted for it. Uh, you young folks need to, all right? Uh, and uh, Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. That's by vanity. It's not actually by labor. Uh, it goes on to say, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. That's what God is going to bless, is gathering by labor. Working for it, you earn it then. But if you're gathering it by a vain thing like lottery, it's not going to last. And so Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteous, but everyone that is hasty 
only to want. Oh, you want to have money real fast? You're going to be in want after that. You're going to lack uh, after that. Proverbs 28, verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, jealous, uh, and, uh, uh, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. God doesn't bless that way of getting things. And gambling is more often than not a curse to people instead of a blessing. And uh, it's stupid uh, to gamble, all right? Uh, these casinos and betting places, we drove by some today, I think, uh, all they are, they are legalized theft, okay? Uh, they have gamed the system. They know the system. And uh, uh, they estimated about nine years ago that there are about 280,000 people in Serbia that are addicted to gambling. How many is it here? Uh, probably way more. And uh, Las Vegas, Sin City, uh, is uh, certainly a terrible, terrible place about that. But if a person had any sense at all, they realize that within 15 minutes of entering a casino, that they will lose uh, 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 everything they have or can lose everything that they have. Uh, they say that the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math. I believe so. That's true. They're just not very good with statistics. The enormous odds are against you winning the lottery. So it's dumb to throw your money away on that. And, uh, but even if you do win, most people are actually ruined by it. Uh, one man that studied instances of people that won the lottery and what happened to them afterwards said that broke or financially troubled uh, lottery winners are the rule. Not the exception. They're the rule of it. And that proves exactly those three verses that I gave you from Proverbs, uh, what the Lord said. So does that sound like all your cares would just be taken care of? Everything's great. No. Uh, that just proves exactly what God says. Everyone uh, a lottery winner has ever known, it seems, comes out, uh, out of the woodwork to try to get to them, to try to get money uh, from them. Uh, even people they've never met. Uh, oh, yeah, we're on your eighth cousin twice removed from the other family. Sure. Uh, it puts tremendous strains on marriages as well, many of them ending up in divorce. Uh, many are quickly in bankruptcy because they get used to a rich lifestyle and sin quick and run through their money. One man won $29 million, and in five years, he was broke and delivering pizzas. And he said that he would be further along today if he had never won. Many of them ended up murdered as well. Uh, Got to get to another pause here. Uh, so many commit suicide or die from drunkenness or drug overdoses. Uh, sometimes receiving is not a blessing, but a curse. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 5, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Why you want to give your life over to have money, 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 money? No. That's not what life is about. I want to tell you, number two, about the principle for deliberation. Principle for deliberation. And that is, are you a giver or a taker? Are you a giver or a taker? That's a deep question. And everyone can essentially be divided into those two groups right there. That they're either givers or their takers. Have you ever heard the toddler property law? You should learn this, okay? Uh, there are property laws of toddlers, and you need to learn them. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Sure. Number two, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Uh, number three, if I had it a week ago, it's definitely mine today. 
Uh, number four, if it's mine, it must not appear to be yours in any way whatsoever. Number five, if, it's my, if I think it's mine, it's mine. Number six, if you're playing with something and put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And then number five, if it's broken or it's broccoli, then it's yours. <laughs> so um, I think that a lot of adults still have this property loss. <laughs> Uh, but it is told that after Abraham Lincoln became president in the United States, office seekers would besiege him everywhere trying to get appointments from him to various jobs throughout the country. It was so much that it was annoying to him and it was hindering his work. Well, once he was confined, it was confined to his bed, he had typhoid fever. He was exasperated, and so then Lincoln said to his secretary, Bring on the office seekers. I now have something I can give to everybody. <laughs> so... What I'm saying, though, is that we, uh, we should be givers. Not like that, but uh, uh, I mean of things that are useful and helpful. And so uh, some would observe that through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that an average one of every six verses deals with money. I haven't put my time to that to figure that out. But, uh, and then of the 29 parables that Christ told, uh, 16 deal with a person and his money in some way. Uh, this is more than just applicable, though, uh, to church and being a Christian, giving to the work of God. Uh, this applies to all of life. And uh, it's a life principle, a philosophy of living, how you ought to live, that you ought to be a giver. All relationships run better when people are givers instead of takers. Uh, when two givers get married, they never end their marriages in divorce. Never. Uh, that's because they're running their marriage how it should be run. Love is not an emotional feeling or an attraction. Uh, young folks, learn that, please. Uh, it's a commitment to another that you will live sacrificially for them than the, uh, uh, to try to supply their needs and take care of them. That's true love. You need to learn that. Uh, I think a lot of adults need to learn that, too. Uh, but it, uh, that's true love. But if it's a giver and a taker that are married then the giver will eventually get worn out because everyone has needs sometimes. Uh, and if it's two takers, it's a disaster. God is very concerned about that we would be givers. And that's why he said this and, and made sure that we'd have this inspired and before us that it's more blessed to give. This is definitely a proof the Bible's from God because giving is not a part of human nature. Uh, it's a learned behavior. Why? We're naturally selfish. Uh, so this principle here must look absurd to worldly people. Uh, thinking that the way to blessing is through giving? How could that be? Uh, they'd probably say instead that people should try to take it, get everything they can out of life. Uh, uh, to get everything you can. But this philosophy then is just completely counter, contradictory to how we normally operate in the flesh. This is the kind of living that God wants us to live. The kind he's concerned that we will live. Really, by this, it reveals that there are two kinds of people. Uh, uh, the givers and the takers. A person could switch between the two. But it's difficult to switch to be the giver. Because our flesh is against us, remember. My goal and the goal of God is that you become a giver if you're not one already. Uh, really, the earlier on in life that people learn to be givers, the better for them. But if you don't get children to learn to be givers, they much of the time turn into monsters. 
And, uh, but really, once people become adults, it's hard for, to form good character if they haven't had it formed in them while they were younger. You can see that with trees. Uh, if you bend a sapling a certain direction while it's young and tender, uh, able to be bent, it can then grow in that direction. Uh, but once it's past that stage, it's become hardwood, you're not going to be able to do so without majorly damaging that tree. And uh, so people can change their bad habits and replace them with good habits, but it just might hurt a lot if they're an adult and they've grown used to them. So, however, this is the way of living that it would be worth changing for because it's blessed by God. Number three, product of distributing. Product of distributing. There are blessings or products of giving if we will just go and be givers. The Lord Jesus is not only just commending and praising givers. There are some results, some rewards in being a giver. These are incredible. Uh, if you don't get anything from all the other uh, Beatitudes, certainly, or, or really from uh, anything else tonight, but yet learn this uh, principle, to be a giver, and you practice it, you will do well. Uh, there are many more blessings to it than just these that we'll give here, but at least you can consider these. So these are just some uh, understanding of things that you'll, uh, that you'll get back in uh, if you'll give. Number one, you'll receive. You'll receive. Uh, of course, I hope you think of it if you uh, know the Bible much at all. But Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, one of the great promises of God. And he says, give. So it's a command. You can't escape it. You can't say, well, I'll just, I'll just be a taker because I'm used to it. No. God commands you to give. So you have to be a giver. He tells you to give. But then he goes on, he, didn't just, he could have just stopped there and just said, give, and we need to obey. But he goes on to encourage us and give us a challenge and say, here's a promise for that. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So it tells us we are to give, and then if we give uh, uh, liberally, uh, this is the only good kind of liberal that you should be, uh, not, the, not the politic kind, uh, but liberal, free, freely to give, not grudgingly, uh, but uh, abundantly. And God said he'll give it back to you and he'll just cram it so much into your life that you just can't handle how much is going on. He just shoves it in there and uh, he will give back. Because God's not going to be indebted uh, to us. But if you give, and especially you give to what God intends for you to, then he'll make sure you'll receive. It may not be exactly what you invest uh, that you'll reap a reward on, since it just might be something else you get. Uh, but there'll be something that you receive. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, in, John, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We focus on that about don't sow sin. We should do that, because uh, then you'll reap judgment. Uh, but it also applies to sow good things. Give to people. Uh, give to God's work. Give to what God wants us to. And then you'll reap from that. You'll receive uh, as well. So, uh, uh, like we saw in Luke 6, what we get in return may be abundant and more than we can handle. Like a farmer, if you want to receive a bigger harvest, then you'll need to sow more than you did. Uh, therefore, you need to give and keep on giving because you can't afford for the receiving to stop. And uh, you know it's the givers that have more life to them anyway. 
but I wanted to illustrate this and uh, to tell you some things that you, don't uh, you possibly don't understand about uh, the uh, land of Israel. And uh, I don't think that you'll look at uh, the land of Israel again the same when I explain these two things. A good way to understand this about being a giver versus a taker is to take two bodies of water in Israel that are talked about in the Bible. On the north side of Israel is what's called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's really more just a big lake. And uh, Jesus spent most of his ministry around or on the Sea of Galilee. There were thousands of people living there at the time, making their living either uh, because of the sea or near it. Uh, the other body of water I want us to focus on is the Dead Sea, uh, which is in the southeast of Israel. These are two completely different lakes. And they illustrate this, what we're talking about. The Sea of Galilee has an outlet the Jordan River, uh, that it, uh, which is constantly flowing into, giving out its waters to go downstream. The sea doesn't uh, go dry because it's being fed from little streams north of it, streams that come down from springs or snow melts. Its waters are teeming with life. Uh, of course, you know from the Bible, Peter and the other disciples had been fishermen on that lake, so they uh, were able to uh, uh, fish and get from that. And uh, my wife and I had actually uh, visited in Israel in 2012, and uh, uh, we had some fish from the lake, and it was good. Uh, but the Dead Sea, so the, the Sea of Galilee has an outlet. The Dead Sea has no outlets. Uh, it, does not, it, it does have an inflow from the Jordan River constantly, uh, but the water goes there to stop and, uh, and go nowhere else except to evaporate. And so it leaves behind these salts and minerals. And because of all the years of it being like this, it's extremely salty uh, to the point where nothing lives in it. There's no fish, there's no kelp, there's no weeds or nothing at all in it. And it's very blue. It's very eerie seeing that. You can see way down there uh, and see nothing else in there. Uh, but uh, that's why then they call it the Dead Sea. Uh, but you can go there uh, and float on it. And it's weird because you float higher than uh, regular water because of all the minerals in there. Uh, I got to do that and it was very strange. Uh, but the lesson from these is that if you are selfish and only receiving, 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 you're not going to be hospitable to life. Uh, you're not going to have spiritual life. And uh, no one likes being around a selfish taker. Uh, but if you are constantly giving out, it'll keep you healthy, hospitable, a good attitude and a joy to be around. Uh, people live around the Sea of Galilee still. Uh, but no one wants to live next to the Dead Sea. Uh, and if there are any, there are tiny communities. Uh, but I don't remember seeing any when we visited there. So uh, we learned there with that point, number one, uh, that you will receive. Number two, your needs will be taken care of. If you are a giver, your needs will be taken care of. Now, it sounds completely counterintuitive. Uh, but the way that your needs are met is that you give what you have. And uh, doesn't that sound odd? But that's how God works. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. It means he's keeping back more than he ought to, and it just makes him poor. He didn't create this, God didn't create this life for us to live, and there would be no consequences, no restrictions, no problems. 
One thing he's patterned this life for the Christian to be is for him, for the Christian to learn how to be a generous person. That's how he wants us. Uh, I had a quote from D.L. Moody that when God gave Christ to this world, he gave the best he had, and he wants us to do the same. I believe that there. And uh, he wants us to be generous people. He helps enforce this message and principle by always criticizing covetousness and also for uh, uh, orienting circumstances that it just doesn't end up truly benefiting us. Uh, instead, he makes it that uh, it's practically uh, uh, we are urged on to generosity. Second uh, Corinthians in chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9 through 8, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled, do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself, I think I'm not in the right place, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, or excuse me, 9, um, all right, here it is, 9, verse 6 and 8, uh, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Uh, and God is able to, get, to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That's what God wants us to be like, generous and uh, uh, giving bountifully. Uh, what does God have to do to make you be generous? How generous are you? Uh, the amount of your needs being taken care of is dependent on how generous you are. Uh, this is especially in the context of giving to missions around the world, uh, which we will uh, talk about in a bit. And uh, certainly this is a part of my testimony. Your needs will be taken care of if you give your money, give of your possessions, and if you give of yourself. The third thing under this of principles uh, is you will be like God. You'll be like God. God is a giving God, a gracious God, giving all the time. Uh, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. To give, to give, to minister. And of course, we know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. That's, that's what he's like. He gave his only begotten son. Uh, he gave to us in our great need. Giving is the greatest expression of love. He, lo he so loved that he gave because of it. People that do not give very much do not love God much nor others very much. Uh, they love themselves too much. Uh, if you read about the Lord Jesus Christ during his ministry, he was always giving. Do you think you're like Christ very much if you're not going to give? Uh, and so one of the key traits of his ministry was that uh, he was always giving, uh, that he was unselfishly lived and gave to others, and in the end, unselfishly laid down his life for us. If you're a giver, you will be uh, so very much like the Lord Jesus. And that is what we are to aspire to being like. God's not going to bless a selfish, stingy individual. Uh, but if you give, you will become like God and grow close to him. A preacher long ago said, what would be, have become of us if Christ had been as saving or sparing of his blood as some men are of their money? He gave it all, didn't he? Uh, so the big point number four, proposals. 
for dispensing. Just some ideas I want to give you about uh, becoming a giver, but proposals for dispensing. So God gives this blessing here that we see, but he's not intending for you with this to just go giving to everyone and everything you see, since it may actually be detrimental. Uh, there are at least two areas that are specifically mandated by God that we ought to give to. And if we give to those things and we can claim the blessing he offers. Number one area is you ought to give to the work of the ministry. You ought to give to God's work in this world through the local New Testament Baptist church, by the way. Uh, giving is a decision of obedience, like we told you, uh, Luke chapter 6. Give! He said, give, it's a command. Uh, so giving is a decision of obedience, not a decision dependent on the economy. I remember when we had the Obama uh, economics uh, and uh, things were being uh, so bad. Oh, we just can't give. No, he didn't say give unless Obama messes with things uh, uh, or give unless Biden messes with things or whatever else. Uh, it doesn't say that it's tied to the economy. And so it's a decision of putting God and his work first. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 through 10. You need to understand, everybody, we need to understand these uh, verses here. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Not the last fruits, the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. He gives the promise afterwards if we'll obey the first part. And we're to honor God with what we have. If we're not giving of it, it's dishonoring to him. And he says the first fruits, that's the first part you need to tithe. Uh, you need to be a tither. Then that's not giving. That's what you owe the Lord. And I hope that you understand that. We could go into talk about that. But at least understand this, that tithing is like paying rent on life to God who gives you life. And if you don't pay rent, if you rent a place, uh, you're going to get evicted, aren't you? Uh, and so that's the point is if we don't tithe to God and pay rent on life, we might get evicted early uh, from this life. And so uh, we need to tithe. But then after that is giving uh, offerings. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, talking about financial kind of things, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things that you're worried about, he says, He'll add them unto you. He'll take care of it. You need to put them first in your finances. Put them first in everything else, certainly. But that's the context is about finances, worrying about are we going to have a roof over our head, clothing on our back, whatever else. Make sure God's first. And so then he'll take care of the rest of you. So if you'll put God and his work in this world first, then all these things will be taken care of. If you look after and take care of God's things, God will take care of your concerns. David Livingston said, I will place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. Uh, we ought to have that serious of an attitude about it. So since you can't take your money and throw it up in the air to heaven uh, where God is, how are you supposed to give it to God? Well, you are to give it to his house, the church, the local church that you ought to be a part of. Uh, did you know that if the church had more coming in for finances, uh, that the church could do more? Uh, the church could take care of more, maybe pay off debt if the church has debt uh, uh, for things. But any church that's preaching God's word right and trying to minister to people always has some need that could be given to. 
And uh, many will complain that they shouldn't give to church and that pastors are only after the money, that they're money grubbers. I don't know a pastor yet that's a money grubber. Now, I know of fake pastors like Joel Olstein uh, and stuff that are money grubbers, but they're not preaching right. Every preacher that I've met that preaches right is not a money grubber. He's going to give to the church. He's going to be a part of that, and he's not going to live lavishly. Uh, and uh, I don't see pastors driving around Jaguars and stuff like that. Uh, if you do, I don't know about that one uh, right there. But uh, good, solid preachers are not going to be like that. They're going to be good stewards because uh, uh, they believe that what they're preaching. They're supposed to, uh, and they're going to be good stewards of that. So uh, please stop making that excuse. Uh, and uh, a good, honest uh, servant of the Lord is going to be conscientious about his finances and to set a good example for the people in front of him. And so uh, please understand, true God-fearing pastors are not in it for the money. How do you expect the work of the ministry to go on if people don't give to it? Uh, most churches set themselves up with the government as nonprofit organizations so they can't start an enterprise to try and earn a bunch of money that they could keep going on then with it. Uh, they are reliant on people giving to it. And the biblical thing is tithes and offerings. It doesn't say to go set up car washes and uh, chili cook-offs and uh, uh, other things like that. Uh, it's not by those means that the church's needs are to be fulfilled. It's by the folks right here, the member, the members right here. It's up to you if the church will uh, go on uh, and not to seek for outside of that because this is the local body. It's to take care of itself as a self, as a, a, a system, autonomous system in and of itself. And uh, that's how God had patterned it. But we can go on to talk about that. Uh, God has just made it this way. If it's, a, if it's a cause worth sacrificing for, and a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Baptist church is worthy of that, then there should be a no-brainer that you ought to give to the work. And so God is an investor in us. He invests in us all the time. Shouldn't we give back to Him? Sure. Otherwise, we're ungrateful Wretches, aren't we? Uh, people want to invest in secular companies, but if they really understood the, great, the greatest profit to be had is by investing in God's work, they would crowd around good gospel preaching churches and invest in them. But they don't, of course. But uh, beyond that, we're also to give to missions. So give to God's work, but as a part of that uh, is we're to give to missions. Now, you give to what you're concerned about. Uh, we are concerned that the gospel would get around the world and that it would get to people in time. So, therefore, we give to evangelistic church planning missions works around the world. I hope you do that yourself. Uh, we give through our church to several dozen missionaries and their works, and we have been doing that for many years now. Giving to missions is what God is especially intensely interested in that we would do, and it is what, we, uh, what will make world, evangelism, uh, world evangelization possible. Uh, one guy way back said, the greatest hindrances to the evangelization of the world are those within the church. And uh, if more could give, if more could pray, if more could go, then things could go better on the mission field. I certainly don't want to be a hindrance to it. Uh, so I give to missions because I have a burden for people around the world, I as a missionary, uh, mind you, uh, for people around the world to be saved and to know God. You should have that burden too. I first started giving on a regular basis to missions back in Bible college. And uh, that gets God's attention. 
because he wants missions to go around the world and that people would be saved. Uh, God blessed me in Bible college, though I actually uh, didn't earn enough at my job to be able to pay my school, bell, school bills, as well as put fuel in my vehicle and take care of my other needs, along with paying my tithes and giving to missions. I didn't earn enough at my job. Uh, but I put God's work first, and God took care of my needs, and I got financial help from areas I didn't, totally didn't expect or even ask for. No, I didn't go buy a Brinks uh, truck, and oh, the door's open. No, okay. Uh, and I was able to graduate from college debt-free. Uh, God blesses and takes care of those who care for and give to his work. I know that by experience, and you can know it too. You rob yourself by not giving to missions like you ought to and give generously to missions. Uh, there's great things that could happen to you through that. Secondly, I won't deal with uh, this much, but I said two areas. And so giving to ministry and then number two, we ought to give to those in need. And uh, so these are two areas that we ought to give to that the Bible especially points out. We ought to give to er uh, people in need. That's in the verse itself. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, it's actually uh, talking about that in the previous part, saying uh, how that by so laboring you ought to support the weak. And so that's in the context right there. Uh, those mentioned, uh, they are not those weak in faith, but those that are physically weak, maybe because of a spiritual problem, or, or excuse me, a physical problem or sickness or something like that. And that might mean in the church alone uh, as well. Now, other uh, uh, places do talk about other aspects of this, as uh, I'll just be brief with some of these, but Matthew 5 and verse number 42, uh, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not uh, thou away. Uh, we are to be giving uh, to other people. Uh, we should not be hard-hearted to people, but should give to people. And God wants us to be generous. Uh, we could talk about uh, this, but the, it's still in the New Testament about alms. And uh, alms are uh, something that God expects. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 through 4, he talks about alms to a Christian and is saying, when thou doest alms. It doesn't say if. It says when, so it's an expectation of God uh, that we would give alms. And so then there's other places you can look at uh, to uh, talk about these kind of things. But uh, what's the purpose of working after giving to, uh, after taking care of the needs of your home, then uh, uh, giving to ministry, giving to the work of the ministry, giving to missions? What is it after that? It's to help others, to help them in need uh, that we know, especially uh, those that are of the household of faith, uh, to help them. If we see some uh, one that's, that's hurting and, and in need of financial help, uh, we should be there for them. Uh, we should not be stingy. We should not be uh, 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 just so uh, hard-hearted to those that are related to us by the blood, by the blood of Christ. Uh, we ought to be uh, there for them. And uh, so many people come to church now and they think that the church should take care of, of the people. That, that's as though that's the mandate of the church. The mandate of the church obviously is a great commission. It doesn't say that they should go out there. But individuals that maybe have a, a, a compassion for somebody going through something, I think that's where that we're to help them in. Uh, they ought not rely on the institution. They, they're to appeal to the individual. And the individual should have a soft enough heart for that. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, maybe God could use that in your life uh, to uh, uh, be such a blessing for you that you got to help some folks in need. And uh, the Bible says that you ought to uh, not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That's what Jesus said in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount. And ought to give and not to let others know. How much do you give to people 
privately. Have you ever done that? Uh, uh, things that you find out that are in need. Some fellow Christians. In Bible college, that was one of the ways that God blessed me was that as I uh, was giving to missions, uh, some folks in the church just kindly gave to me. I don't even know who they are still. Uh, gave to my school bill, helped me to pay it off. And I was amazed with that. God was blessing me through that. And I was a poor college student, uh, certainly, but help those that are in need. Uh, and uh, how can we say that God and his love is in us when we don't help folks in need? Uh, and folks, some of the most hard-hearted people that I know are in churches today. They preach right, they teach right, they have ministries, they try to get out the gospel, but man, there are some hard-hearted people in church today. And so, uh, but please notice the order that we're demonstrating here. It's not the needs of others first before the work of ministry uh, uh, for God. We should put that first, God's work first, then we ought to be uh, helping other people. And pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to uh, take care of the widows and the fatherless in their distress, as it says there in James 1.27. Uh, we're to be out there helping people. This is not necessarily to set up a place as to have a food bank, if the Lord works on your heart uh, in this church to do that, good. Or maybe you just need to go around and help people have food personally, buy them food for them. Uh, have you ever given anybody a meal? Have you ever bought groceries uh, for other people? Have you ever given them some clothing uh, uh, for other people? Do you, are you a generous person? Do you really have the love of God in and through you? Maybe God's not able to accomplish much in this community. It's because we're blocking it. And we're blocking his love being poured out through us. And God just might give you a great opportunity to witness to somebody if you'd just be gracious and giving uh, to them in their need. Uh, you will always remember the gifts that you give. You don't really remember. I'm sure you don't. I don't. Uh, the things that I receive. I don't remember Christmases when I was a kid, what I received. But I remember what I gave. I remember my dad gave a van that we had used uh, in our family. He gave it to a ministry uh, that went often into Mexico. And they took the van, they fixed it up, and they brought it into Mexico, and they gave it to another church uh, ministry down there. And that van may be still running today. I don't know. Uh, but we were just so glad to be able to give to the ministry like that and uh, to need uh, in somebody else's uh, ministry to help them go on. And I cherish that. Uh, and uh, we remember that. Do you remember the things that you've given? Uh, maybe you need to give of your time to people that can't give back to you. Have you ever been to the nursing home? Those folks can't give back to you. Uh, those folks, they, they don't get visitors. Uh, giving is not just physical things. It's not just money. It could be your time. And going and trying to be a blessing to the folks in the nursing home you might just really see some great things happen there. I went two and a half years to the nursing home every Sunday while I was in Bible college. I got to see some of them saved. And it was such a blessing to me. They're so ignored, though. And their families ignore them. If you ignore them, how would you like to end up like them? And your family never come visit you. You'll get what you sow. You'll reap what you sow. Maybe there's a place that you could start thinking about going to and being a blessing to them. They're overlooked and neglected. Uh, but there's other places, of course, that we could uh, invest in. Uh, we need to be givers. Are you a giver or are you a taker? You just die on the inside 
if you're just taking, taking, taking. We have the me first generation. We have the I deserve generation. What is that called? Uh, they say the, um, uh, this generation now. The entitled, entitlement generation, right. I'm entitled to this. No, you breathe air. That's all you're entitled to. Uh, you're not entitled to anything else. Uh, so you don't get, you don't deserve to get anything. Maybe you need to get smacked around uh, is what you ought to get. Uh, but listen, we need to not be that way. It's humanistic. It's fleshly to be a taker, taker, me, 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 me. Uh, always me. Uh, and I want to be the best and uh, all this stuff. No, that's not Christian. That's not godly. That does not reflect like God. Uh, God's giving, giving, giving. We ought to be givers as well. You need to take this principle in your life. If you haven't already, sink it down deep in your heart. And you need to be a giver. If you're not a giver yet, start. Start now. Uh, be a giver. Don't be a taker. Uh, God will bless you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. What kind of blessings are you missing? Because you're just not giving like you should. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Don't neglect the wonderful blessing that this can make in your life. It's for your good and for the betterment of your life, obviously for the betterment of others. That's the idea and intention of blessings to make our lives better. Don't miss what God wants to give you through this beatitude or through any of the other beatitudes for that matter. Will you get on this path to blessing? Don't miss it. Let's have a time of prayer and taking it seriously to God to say, God, I want to be a giver. Maybe God's already prompted you some things to say, here's an area that you need to give to. Here's something you need to give to. Obviously, don't, remember, don't forget that you need to be giving to ministry, to missions, and then think about others beyond that, like we talked about tonight. Don't miss what God wants to work in your heart. Everybody is always just such more of a blessing to be around, such better attitudes when they are givers themselves. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss the blessing.